Hallelujah. Good to see everybody here on Thursday. Now, tomorrow, already make your plans because one of America's best of the best, Reggie Dabbs, will be here preaching. And um, Reggie's coming back to his home field. He used to sit up in the balcony right up there as a student back in the 1900s, um, back in the day. And he is just affecting this planet in so many ways. He's one of those leaders, I I say, that has tilted the planet um, with just the power of his voice and his life, and uh, but it all stems from the origin of this room right here. So anyway, it's great to see everybody. Could we actually bring the lights up just a little bit? Uh, You don't have to hide the empty seats for me in a dark room, maybe just a little bit so we can have a little bit more eye contact. Um, there we go. There we go. Take your Bibles. Go to First Samuel chapter nine. First Samuel chapter nine is where we're going to be this morning. Um, I was sitting here yesterday, just uh, being impacted by Jeff Deo's uh, powerful message and his life, and just he's just like a force of nature uh, that is also somebody that's helped tilt the planet for the kingdom of God. And to have him as ours still is very, very, very special. Um, it's one of the things that made North Central so attractive to me when they first called me. I said, is, is Jeff still going to be at North Central? Because um, I just have loved his passion. And he's catalytic. And he's the kind of person, kind of like Ezra. The Bible says in the book of Ezra that when Ezra began to pray by himself, the, the nation gathered around him. I mean, not every single person, but uh, the Israelites came and they watched him pray. They just watched Ezra pray. And it so convicted the people that they began to confess their sin and began to pray themselves without being told to pray or please recite this. They just were around somebody like Ezra um, and they, they caught it. When I'm around uh, Jeff, it's like that. I just catch something by watching him lead. And that's the kind of Holy Ghost leader you want to be. That when you get into a room, you get into a setting, you're not trying to be a showboat. You're not trying to uh, take over the room. You just live your faith out with all that is within you. And people are not just captivated. They are, uh, they're, they're lit by it. They, they catch fire by it. And so that's the power of our life. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that, uh, that this morning. But I was sitting here going, man, one year ago, we're sitting here in spiritual life days. We're bringing in chairs into this room. There, I mean, we're breaking fire codes. I think the balcony's going to collapse because of the Reggie Dabbs was preaching and he pulls out his sax and he starts playing. Anybody remember that service last year? I thought literally the balcony was going to fall down. I go, and then I'm sitting here yesterday and my natural mind says, how did spiritual life days become a Wednesday night Bible study? And I go, Lord, you got to help me. This feels like a Wednesday night Bible study. What happened to our, our school? What happened to that moment, that thing, that who, who we are? And then the Holy Spirit reminded me <clears throat> of two stories. One is found in the book of Acts. One of the seven major persecutions of the church was the scattering of the church. So what the enemy did said, let's bust them up. Let's spread them out. Let's distance these Christians one from another. And what happened was it actually was the first ever missions movement of the book of Acts was the scattering of the church. For, to the natural eye, it looked like they'd lost all of their potency because they weren't in one room where it, was, it could be so easily measured. And they were scattered. But every place a believer was sent, even in ones or twosies, 
instead of hundreds, something broke out. God took that life and said, you don't need to be always connected to the whole or always connected to the crowd to be on fire. I got to have you burn by yourself in locations or this earth will never be covered with the kingdom. And so the scattering of the church totally backfired on Satan. And the scattering of the church was part of the, uh, what they say about when you play high-speed three-dimensional chess while everybody else is playing checkers. So the Lord was playing chess and saying, okay, devil, I'm going to make it look for the moment to yourself like you are winning some kind of battle against the church, but I'm really, you, you, you are the one that's spreading the gospel right now by the scattering of the church. I thought of a story I heard back from the 16th century in France. The Huguenots was a small persecuted group of Protestants, um, and there was an outbreak of the Holy Spirit and it actually seeped into um, a group of nuns in the Catholic Church. And the Catholics and the Protestants weren't too thrilled with one another back in the 16th century. And so what happened was the Huguenots were filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody shared that to a nun and a group of, I think it was 14 nuns, were baptized in the Holy Spirit in a convent. And so what happened was it freaked out the Catholic Church at that time. Um, and they put all 14 nuns in separate locations in France. And they separated all 14 of them. Put them in quarantine, isolation, you, and to, to really to bust up what the Lord was doing. Well, you know what happened was exactly what happened in the book of Acts. It was a bad strategy. Because in all 14 locations, a revival broke out through one Holy Ghost-filled nun that was put into quarantine. So even though I hate it, I don't like it, I am submitted to the greater work of God that is in total control of our moment together in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And plus, I started as a part-time junior high pastor. It doesn't get tougher than that. I was given 50 kids, junior high, 7th and 8th graders, and that was my life and my job. And I had to go prove my worth trying to get 50 junior high kids to love God. I was just trying to get them not to smoke or burn the church down. Uh, but we had a great move of God happen with 50 junior high kids. Some of them today are being used all over the world. So if you can preach to that. I was preaching one time in Africa. We were up in the, the Venda land and we we're outdoors. It was rough in this open air. And I'm getting ready, preaching to this humble little group of 20 people. And Hopefully somebody's going to get saved. We were doing missions work. And all of a sudden, a herd of cows came through the meeting and literally suspended the meeting for 30 minutes while a herd of 100 cows walked between myself and the people I was preaching to. Three of the cows did uh, stop and uh, get baptized or saved. But it was a good, it was a, a, a quite a moment when you're a preacher trying to preach through a herd of cattle in front of you. I could tell you story after story of setting after setting that is imperfect but God always seemed to show up in the imperfect setting. And so here we go. I'm going to put my glasses on. I got my contacts in. I'm going to add glasses to the contacts. I got large print Bible. Uh, we're doing it all. I'm playing. I'm playing. First Samuel chapter 9. Here we go. I'm going to paraphrase. And then we're going to get to verse 6. And then we're going to stop and kind of look at that. But I want to give you the context leading up to verse 6. It says, now there was a man of Benjamin uh, whose name was Kish. Uh, 
and he was a dynamic man. He was a, a, a man of means. This isn't, hey, the dog is lost. Somebody go look for the dog. When, when Saul went looking for the donkeys, this was a business move. There was uh, missing resources. They were going, hey, you got to hunt this down. This was donkeys, which was part of the assets of this very successful man. He had a son in verse 2. His name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. When you read the King James, the word is goodly. G-O-O-D-I-L-Y, goodly, which is a cool name. He was a goodly man, very goodly. That means, again, he was a handsome guy. It says that he was the most goodly or handsome dude in the entire land. It says, um, then among the sons of Israel, from his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. So this guy was a tall figure that had attributes, and from 50 feet away, he looked like a leader. And part of the core of this story is the difference between attribute, attributes and anointing. So the assignment that Saul had on his life, this early one, which was to go look for the donkeys, was really God playing again chess with a young <coughs> leader's life that had tremendous potential because he possessed attributes that in the human measurement of things, it looked like that person would fill this slot. The assignment is, is his or it is hers because they looked the part. That's what the Bible is saying about this guy. He looked the part. One of the most important experiences of your life was for the Lord to separate looks from the actual heart of the person and to separate the physical attribute from the spiritual attribute of the person. But we all start with, you know, because the Bible says man looks on the outward. That's what we do. God looks on the heart. He's the only one that can really, truly test and know the heart of an individual. But at this point in Saul's life of possibilities, he's not a bad guy because he had attributes. He's not disqualified because he had attributes. Okay, What's going to disqualify him down the road is for something else. But let's watch the story unfold quickly. It says, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, take now with you one of the servants, arise and go search for the donkeys. I guess if I was going to name the teaching here this morning, it it's, would be entitled, it's not about the donkeys. It's not about the donkeys. Now I'll explain what I mean in a moment. His assignment was to go look for the donkeys but the assignment had nothing to do with the donkeys. It says he passed through the hill country of Ephraim. Then he passed through this area of Shalashah, which is like it's a place where three valleys become one or one valley becomes three. It's kind of a deep gorge. It's a place, a natural location where the donkeys could be missing. It says, but they did not find them. And they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but there he did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuph, Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. So basically, the, this was not a just, hey, check the neighborhood. Most scholars feel this was a 15 to 20 mile walk in some very rugged terrain. So at some point in the journey, Saul is saying, we better get back home, man. The day is far spent. Um, we got to get back. We've searched and searched. 
And the servant, however, this nameless servant who constantly shows up in the Bible, all through the Bible, significant pivots happen because somebody without a name whispers into the ear of the leader. Infamous people, I mean, not infamous, but people, people without any kind of notoriety, good or bad. Just a person who's in the story next to them. And it says, so the servant uh, hears him say, let's return. And he said to him, behold, now there is this. Verse six, let's look at this. And he said to him, this is the new King James. Look now, there is in this city a man of God. We're on the precipice or the edge of a city. There is therefore in this city a man of God and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass or comes true. Let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. So the servant says, before we give up, we got one shot at success. Let's go consult with somebody in the city that has a reputation for being so full of God's spirit, so full of heaven's wonder. Let's go into this city. A man with the reputation for being an honorable man, which means he lives the life. There's no um, report of hypocrisy about this guy. There is therefore in this city a man of God. He's an honorable man. All that he says comes true, <clears throat> which means his counsel is trustworthy. His words are right. All that he says comes true. Let's go see him or seek him. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. First of all, that is what you once said about your life. People from a distance. Your reputation always arrives to greet you, friends. You can't burn bridges when you're young and expect to live a life of reputation. You can't mistreat people. You can't tell lies when you're young. You can't mistreat uh, people and defraud people sexually when you're young and then just leave it to oblivion or mother nature or time will heal and expect that that will not be waiting for you down the road. Now God can use people who've told lies and God can use people who've been sexually unfaithful. But they are used because they pass clearly through the narrow gate of Christ and he forgives them and it becomes part of their testimony and their reputation as one who has been saved and redeemed and delivered and transformed. So God can use all of us in this room who have failed him because everybody has in this room. Everybody has. But friends, beyond that moment of redemption in your life with Christ, you're building a life that can be known and echoed through the valleys and in the wilderness that there is now therefore in this city a man or woman of God. They're honorable, which means that they're an example of something over time. All that they say comes true. They don't tell lies. They're not telling one story here and another story there. They're not telling this person that or this person over here this. Their story, their narrative about their life and the Lord is consistent. All that they say comes true. 
Don't you think that's the kind of people this broken, jacked up world is going to run toward in these days? People are not running toward frauds. They're not running toward liars. They're not running toward people that have no honor, that have no life. People are lost. They're trying to find their life. They're trying to find their purpose. They're trying to find their donkeys. And they're lost and the day is far spent and they haven't located them. All that's left is to find a man or woman of God. Somewhere in the family tree, somewhere in the family, somewhere in the city, somewhere at the school, somewhere in the church. Where can we go to find the person who can help show us the way? This is how ministry unfolds. This is how it works. There's more to the story. Here we go. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servant, but behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our, uh, from our pouch, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, behold, I believe in my hand. I have in my hand a fourth of the shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us the way. Uh, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, come and let us go to the seer. Uh, for he who is called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, well, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up the slope to the city. They found a young woman going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? They answered them and said, he is, see, he, he is, see, he is ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today, for the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for you will find him at once. So they went up to the city, and they came to the city, and behold, Samuel, 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 was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. Now, a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, you shall anoint him uh, to be prince over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the land of the Philistines, for I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, a man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. You see, there's components to your future that are in play right now. You think it's about the donkeys. That's the assignment. Got to go to school. <coughs> Got to be successful, not get kicked out. And then the assignments get very, very, very small. I got to wear this mask and I've got to be part of the community. And I've got to do well. Everything gets real small. And we're faithful to that assignment and our heart is open and we're searching in the valleys and we're trying to honor our father by being faithful to the instruction, go look and go find my lost donkeys. But God is playing chess with our life and he uses this so that you can be positioned over here. I'll never forget, I was upset at my family because we moved relentlessly. I've told you the story many, many times, probably too much. Just always moving, always losing friends, always going to a new town, new this, new that. Little did I know that this popcorn trail of relationships would be strung all over the western part of the United States from Colorado to Oregon to Washington to California. And that at a certain time, almost every 
unexpected search for the donkey. My dad just trying to find himself and we had to get in the car and tag along because he, we he was responsible. We didn't have a family meeting. It wasn't the will of God for our life. It was my dad's mess. And we're just being yanked here, there. And it feels like, what's this all about? And I'll never forget, I was so angry at my parents. We were living in Redding, California. I was going into my senior year of high school. And on a one day's notice, he says, hey, we're going to move to Sacramento. I said, move to Sacramento? What? I said, I'm going into my senior year. I start on the basketball team. I've got colleges. What? Can you imagine you played at this school for two years? You're a starter. And you find out literally the last week of August. They moved the last weekend of August. School is starting the following Tuesday. And I find out I'm moving from Enterprise High School to Del Campo High School in Sacramento. You're crazy. And man, I was angry. I was 16. And I just had had it up to here with it. Little did I know that that move to Sacramento would put me in another church. That other new church had a young woman that God had already ordained for my life. I'm out there looking for donkeys, trying to keep all my emotions intact, my head screwed on. And I meet a girl <clears throat> that would be a significant ordained relationship that would become my, my co-laborer in this life, my wife. So it's not about the donkeys. God uses this to move us, to position us. He uses disappointments. He uses weird assignments. He uses awkward open doors. He uses the end of a long day with no result to get our hearts open to going and seeking help from a person that knows the Lord. Because Saul didn't say, no, I appreciate it. We're going back home. He said, okay, let's go. The conditions were created for Saul's future. But I want you to notice here that it says that he came to anoint him. Because without the anointing, the attributes will fail you. This whole spiritual life day is the reason that we're a Pentecostal, Holy Spirit-driven, Holy Spirit university. A lot of schools in America tuck it way down deep. It's way down in some ancient little brochure. If you read the founding of Harvard University, the founding of Princeton, Yale, it's tucked way down. The first seven presidents of Harvard were pastors. The first six, actually. The seventh was a politician. And then that was the first, they went back to pastors. Tucked way down deep. North Central, the reason the Lord has sustained and breathed on this place because we haven't tucked it way down in there like all these other Christian universities that over time had to survive and became enlightened, highly educated in a way that removed the centrality of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit from their midst. North Central has chosen, chosen to never take that route. And I know today it looks like a Wednesday night Bible study. That's who we are. That, that will return. But it's the anointing, not your attribute. 
not the fact that you are gifted, your physical whatever, or the absence of it. Even the absence of these attributes, because it's interesting that the next person that was chosen, there is some question in scripture about David. Was he a, this specimen or was he more ruddy in color and humble in appearance? Because the older brothers of David looked the part and they were about to do the exact same thing after Saul was removed. So it's interesting that in both cases, those with tremendous attribute from 50 feet away and the one who's not even brought out in public who would be the next king, both required the anointing. It's the anointing, not the attribute. And without that anointing, if you don't bring the thing that's tucked way down deep that we're almost embarrassed of, we're not embarrassed of the central power and figure and strength of Scripture all throughout the Spirit of God. I'll never forget when the Lord chose to go beyond my attributes and to anoint my life. And he created the conditions uh, as I looked for donkeys and led me to a valley up in Reading right before this next move in which a little grandma and I've been prayed for a hundred times to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, a hundred times. It was getting old. People always praying for me, put their hand on me. I'm looking around like nothing's going on. Okay, great. This is stupid. Hearing people that speak in tongues and then drop F words. They're like, hey, this is stupid. This is dumb. This is as phony as, you see as phony as a $2 bill till they distributed $2 bills back in the 1900s. But I just dismissed it as a bunch of shenanigans. Tell, until. This grandma, uh, she wore a, a dark black wig. She's like, seriously, she was 80 years old. And she looked exactly like Mother Tennyson, like Alan Tennyson's mother. True story. She was petite, frail, but on fire. Just like a tendon, just muscle and tendon. Like Martha Tennyson. This lady said, I want to pray for you. I know you've been prayed for. And all I can tell you, all I can tell you, for whatever reason, when she prayed for me that day, it was different than the hundred times before. And God did something in my life that elevated me beyond my attributes into a place of anointing. And I realized that this, there's a bigger thing here than finding uh, the donkeys for dad. I'm part of a story that you're maneuvering all of these pieces in my life. Later on in the text, it says that Samuel told Saul, don't worry about the donkeys. They were located a few days ago. What? Because it's not about the donkeys. It's about getting you to that place of anointing in your life where things become clear and your purpose is revealed to your life. And so I know that right now we can't
pray for you in a traditional sense. I tell people it's like a touchless car wash going on. You need a car wash with the brushes hitting your car. Like That's kind of like North Central usually. Now we just got from a distance, nothing actually touches the car, but we're, we're, getting, but we're getting clean. There's something about our chapels that are different. But I'm telling you right now, I can't make you hungry for the anointing if you're just going to simply settle for the attributes. I got the talent, the gifts. I got all that. I'm positioned. I'm getting educated. I'm just going to polish my attributes. For us to do what God has called us to do in this land, if the anointing doesn't surpass the attribute, okay, it's not going to happen. So we're just going to begin to pray this morning and worship. I'd like us to stand together in this place. There's so much more. I got about a 25% of my message done. But I will tell you this, right now in chapel, it's not required, correct, Todd? Chapel's not required, correct? So in a way, and I'm not saying this represents the only hungry people. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of hungry students for God. But you, you simply do not have to be in this room in our current. Now, the day is going to come where it's going to go back to the old. Just don't, don't even think for one moment. Chapel will not be required at North Central. It ain't going to happen, friends. So this is a weird little window right here. But here's what I want us to do. Say, Lord... I need your anointing. I need your Holy Spirit in my life. When she laid hands on me and prayed for me, I felt not just physical heat and fire. And I, I sometimes I, I hesitate to say that because, well, I'm not feeling that. So I guess, no, no, no. That just was my moment. But I began to speak in tongues. And I will tell you right now, about 10 years ago, being a Pentecostal wasn't cool because it's about purpose. It's about leadership. This day and age, with the parade of the demonic all around us and every single person I know battling horrific anxieties and fears, the world is turning on each other. Are you telling me that simply leadership and purpose is going to win the day? Absolutely not. <clears throat> we need to find the power of the Holy Spirit the way that Martin Luther found justification by faith. Something that had been forgotten and neglected by the church. We need the power of God. And I'm telling you, it is schools precisely like North Central that is going to flourish and thrive as people run to these Holy Ghost settings like they're running into the ark, you guys. And I know I'm talking to the choir because you want to be here. <clears throat> but we're going to begin to worship God. And even if you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> you're going to have an Acts 4.31 moment where you're going to be filled afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. The house is shaken. And even though we can't come out there and physically lay a hand on you, man, this is going to be like a touchless, powerful Pentecost right now in this room, top to bottom, all over this room. I want you to get more friends here tomorrow for Reggie. Um, Dabs will get as many as we're allowed to have in the room tomorrow. But right now, it's not tomorrow. It is today. 
And Lord, I want your anointing over my attributes. In Jesus' name, let's lift up our hands. Lord Jesus, we love you, God. Lord Jesus, we love you. Begin to lift your voice right now to Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, we are hungry today, God. Lord, find us in the valley, Lord, and take us to, the, to be that man or woman of God, Lord, that is honorable and trustworthy, God, and we speak life to people, God. Father, raise up graduates and leaders like that out of this house, God, out of this chapel, Jesus. Difference makers, God. People that can tilt the planet, God, like, like Samuel did, God. Lord, let men and women, Jesus, be filled with an anointing that not only they possess, but they give to others, God. Lord, transcend my gifts, my talents, my physical attributes, God, or the absence thereof, God. I, I need your anointing in my life right now. Lord, I pray right now as we begin to worship that you would baptize every student in this room, Lord, with the Holy Ghost, Lord, with the evidence of speaking in a heavenly language, God, though it may never have happened before in their life. Lord, for those that their well has gone dry, God, I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, a new well would be dug, Lord. They would be able to praise you and begin to speak again, Lord, not just with tongues, but tongues of fire, God. Lord, anoint and take over these few minutes as we praise you in your mighty name. Hallelujah. Let's pursue his anointing, his presence. Let's pursue the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Ghost in our life right now as a school. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's all yours, you guys. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.